Welcome to Antimatterpod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're joined again by Jules to discuss our favourite villains in Star Trek. And Jules, which villain made us think of you? <laughs> That's not a nice way to put apparently, it. <laughs> apparently just, well, you know what? I, I've made my peace with it. Apparently you just DM'd me and were like, hey, what does it say that I immediately think of you when I hear the name Ducat? And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, you know, I've made peace with it. That's all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And your mother may be disappointed in you, but I think it's great. Deeply, deeply. <laughs> <laughs> I love making fun of him. That that she appreciates. Yeah, you're not one of those Ducat fans who's like the occupation was great and Ducat no. did nothing wrong. Ducat ever did in nothing his wrong. Life. No, he did everything wrong. Always, <laughs> ever, every single thing. Mm. So when. When I suggested this episode, I kind of wanted to draw a distinction between villains as individuals who are in some way opposed to the goals and ethics of the main characters versus like whole alien races who are just Mm. enemies of the Federation or Bajor or whatever. So like (laughs) Wayun could be a villain, but not the Dominion as a whole, because that's just sort of faceless. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, and I love Wayun as a villain. He's sort of the middle middle management of villainy. Yes. But I would have trouble calling the Borg villains. They're more of a force of nature. That makes that makes sense. Yeah, too. Mm. yeah. That and makes sense. like coming off season one of Star Trek Picard, I have trouble thinking <laughs> of the Romulans ever as as villains so much as <laughs> deeply misguided individuals with a terrible government. <laughs> I mean. You know, I Correct. think I emailed you a little after the, uh, what was it, the Co-op Milot were first introduced mm. and was like, you know, honestly, I've never quite been into Romulans because when it comes to races who are enemies of the Federation, have totalitarian governments and extremely powerful intelligence machines Mm. and uh, moderately successful dissident movements internally, the Cardassians will always come first in my heart. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) I think that's fair, but I think that explains why I don't care about the Cardassians as much. Yeah. Because my heart already belongs to the Romulans. Exactly. You know, you gotta, you're either a Romulan person or you're a Cardassian person. There's two types of people in the world. But that doesn't mean that I don't find Cardassians interesting. They're almost my favorite part of Deep Space Nine. And Mm -hmm. the whole thing where Garrick worked on Romulus as a a gardener in the Cardassian embassy. That's great. I love it when these two forces work together and it actually turns out to be a real disaster. Yes, that might and have to be. My we, favorite uh... villain is, of course, a Cardassian. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> so, yeah, I didn't really want to get into the Klingons. I find the Klingons really boring as villains. I love them mainly as foils for Worf or characters in their own right. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I love Worf. I just don't think the Klingons deserve him. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the TOS Klingons are just painful. It's, don't watch this. 
if you like, <laughs> you have to really be in the right place of like, okay, this is going to be racist and and yeah. stereotypical and awful. Okay, now I can just enjoy it as a you know piece of theater. And if <laughs> you're in the mood okay. for Shakespearean actors wearing brown face, the K's on are right there. <laughs> God. Yeah. I mean, the K's on. The K's on are no one's favorite. Can we just like put that out there? No, I... no one sticks up for the K's on. <laughs> no, no. I honestly go through my season two Voyager rewatch I realized that they had a lot of potential and it could have been realized had the writers been less racist yeah horrible <laughs> yeah yeah I mean there's that whole episode where they, it turns out that they're the Bajorans of the Delta Quadrant and it was like oh mm. this is bad guys oh, oh yeah this no. is oh, yeah. really bad <laughs> wow these people freed themselves from slavery 30 years ago and now they're really dysfunctional and aimless and and right. desperate to survive it was 30 years. that definitely makes them bad guys oh my god hmm. so bad. yeah right. I, I i think honestly in some ways the biggest villains on voyager were the writers <laughs> oh see also picard yeah 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 so what makes a villain work, work or what makes a character succeed or fail as a villain? Oh, interesting question. That's a, that's a very interesting question. I think this is where I have to bring up that I did favorite villains in my Star Wars podcast. Mm-hmm. And it was extremely difficult for me. We, we because you do... don't believe that half the characters are really yeah. villainous? So yeah. it was, you're supposed to pick, we were supposed to pick, you know, three to talk about I could only come up with two (laughs) and like we also the first were like okay how are we going to define this and I was like I came up with this great definition a villain is someone who acts in opposition to the heroes and then I did not use that as my (laughs) as my basis at all I added (laughs) that they had to also be like completely villainous and and have no redeeming qualities as people. <laughs> and that was so... the only way they could be villains in, in my book. And that's why there are only two of them and Darth Vader wasn't one of them. I was going to mm. say, that's Palpatine and Count Dooku. So... Yeah. So you distinguished between villain and antagonist. Um, I guess, I, yeah, I, I think that's like word for word what I eventually said. <laughs> but... It's, it's, I just had to put that out there that, that this, I th- this was easier for me because I had my favorite villain and even though I totally believe that she has redeeming qualities, I also believe that she is a Tarkin-esque type who's really good at being a villain and enjoys being a villain. And so yes. it was like, I don't know, the Star Trek universe it was easier and even the villains that you guys put on the list I could come up with reasons why they were villains and they were they were you know good to talk about and like I was like Mm. into it whereas I think the difference is that with Star Wars we know that uh, most of these villains were abused children and Mm. their behavior is a reflection of that and so without endorsing say burning down a village to pick a, a, a random example, it's <laughs> possible to example. put them in context. Whereas, <laughs> you know, Gal Ducat probably had a really hard childhood, but he's still a douchebag. Well, yeah. the thing is that he goes through a whole redemption arc and decides not to be redeemed. Yes, <laughs> so, yes. 
Honestly, there you go. that's even then though, cool. is it like redemption arc is probably even I'm like as someone who loves the character, even I'm like redemption is okay. he becomes slightly <laughs> be less for a while he looks like maybe he might become a little bit less terrible. I guess it's more like he was offered the opportunity. He's yeah. offered the opportunity to go on a redemption arc and chooses to not do to. better. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I guess for me, what I find interesting is that he totally does not realize he's a villain. No. I mean, that's what I love. Honestly, I mentioned this on my blog, which is like, I was looking back and realizing, okay, my favorite types of villains are generally like what TV tropes calls affable evil where they're they don't like go out of their way to like twirl their mustache and generally mm -hmm. like they're not gonna like be jerks just because they're evil they're generally often really nice people in a lot of ways until you get in the way of their goal at which point yeah, they yeah. will do anything um so affable evil uh often they have no idea they're the villain. They genuinely believe they're the hero of the piece. Yes. And they're probably completely obsessed with and possibly horny for the actual hero of the piece. And I was like, you know, the formative <laughs> age at which I was watching Deep Space Nine may explain this. <laughs> It's such a good description of both uh, Ducat and Lorca. And, and it kind of <laughs> yes. comes down to my thing where my favourite type of villain is the one who really, truly believes that they're the hero. And yes, mm -hmm. they're doing terrible things, but the, the ultimate goal is worth it. Unless, you know, even if the ultimate goal is, say, the long-term repression and ultimate destruction of the Bajoran culture or... <laughs> taking the Terran Empire and making it even worse. Making the Empire great again? Yeah. Yeah. And it's really... I, th I think the sort, of, the sort of villain who thinks they're the chosen one and is sort of a legend in their own lunchbox, but is also a bit ridiculous. You know, yeah. Lorca is almost introduced telling dad jokes and yeah. uh -huh. we... Ducat has this amazing, ridiculous obsession with with uh, Kira and and Cisco, and would absolutely bone them both. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just I find that sort of character really entertaining. I I don't even necessarily want a redemption arc for that sort of villain. I mm. just want I just want to see them doing their thing and being really shocked and amazed to learn that they're not succeeding just because of the magical yes. power of their own charisma. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Oh. I mean, honestly, partly for me, it's that I almost always redemption arcs very rarely, if ever, work for me. Like the only one I can think of that I've really been like, yes, this works for me is Prince Zuko from Avatar. He is only really a villain for two episodes, and then Jason Isaacs comes in, <laughs> and we see him put in his place yeah. as a scared, victimized teenager. Yeah, and that's the point where you realize, oh, there is more to this character than oh. being this droppy bad guy. And he lived in a really messed up culture, and yeah, was yeah. completely like, yeah, yeah, and yeah. 
to talk about Avatar for a moment, I'm very much on the Azula redemption train. Oh, but yeah. I would never even consider a redemption arc for, say, Ozai because he Mm-mm. doesn't want it. He thinks no. he's doing the right thing. He thinks mm-hmm. he's entitled to take over the world and literally burn it down mm-hmm. and take his shirt off in the process because he's just that gorgeous. You know? So the character I chose as my favorite villain in Star Wars after all of this was yes. Ben Mendelsohn's character in Rogue One, Orson Krennic. Yes! Which I think is exactly this type of person that you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. And where I didn't, I never wanted to see him redeemed because he, his, he doesn't, yeah, he absolutely doesn't know he's a villain. He thinks that he's doing everything correctly and should get all of the acclaim mm. and is just angry at the world for not giving it to him. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's fun to watch. He's like, again, like Wayun, he's the middle management of evil. Mm. And even some Wayuns can sort of, I don't want to say redeem some themselves, Wayuns. but he chooses to follow Odo instead of the rest of the founders. Mm. Like, yeah. I, the other reason I don't really love having the Dominion as a villain is because there's so much genetic manipulation of everyone but the founders that, mm. you know, how much does free will really tie into it? It's no yeah. fun. Mm-hmm. No fun hissing at a villain who has no choice. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, yeah. Honestly, a lot of the seventh and later sixth seasons of DS9, I'm like so many ass. Honestly, on my blog, I'm like, you know, you could make a drinking game out of my use of the phrase missed opportunity oh, um, yeah. for the show. But I'm really like, I feel like you could have stretched the Dominion Arc War out by at least another season and really given a lot of more characters the opportunity to come into their own. Um, yeah. You know, including Esri, and that's a whole other story. But um, it, yeah, I'm just like. I was, it, I mean, I was thinking about this earlier as well about, you know, you have entire races uh, who are villains versus like individual mm-hmm. characters. And where yeah. do you kind of draw the line there of. Uh, sort of generic villains who are they're from this race so they must be evil Mm. which is the Ferengi actually for all of next gen and and what a great subtext that is oh yes as I've mentioned that's kind of why I don't really have many favorite villains from Voyager because the nature of the series means we don't really get to dig in deep with any cultures Mm. and so we only see a handful of individuals and they're usually hostile and usually Mm. they have good reasons for being hostile but we don't get to see beyond that right sort of original series in that regard really yeah 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 yes yeah like i i feel like the closest tos comes to a returning villain aside from the klingon empire (laughs) is harry mudd and he's no one's favorite anything (laughs) oh yeah he's harry mudd's favorite It's true, it's true, and my friend Aristophanes wrote that excellent fic where he and Lorca go on a heist. (laughs) I like Mirror Mud in the comics. uh, He's such a nice man. The mostly forgettable, like, we'll forget the last few pages of it, um, tie-in comic in the Mirror Mm. Universe. You know, as uh, with so much of Discovery, I just stopped paying attention after they killed Cornwell. Yeah, fair. Yeah, Ooh. that seems reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Mirror Universe, though, speaking of that, um, I guess we can get to Lorca from that some more. Ooh. But um, I, 
mirror like <laughs> I feel like again missed opportunities but mirror Kira who I feel like yeah. was introduced as a like basically basically DS9 the first mirror universe episode was pretty serious and yes. then the rest of them got they just went ridiculously yeah. campy and initially though I'm like Oh, when she's first introduced to Mirror Kira, I'm like, the intendant is Ducat, basically. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, this is, it adds a whole other layer of creepiness and grossness on top of their relationship that every time now Kira looks at him, she not only has, you know, the leader of the, the ma mastermind of the, uh, the occupation in her lifetime but also gets to see oh mm -hmm. there but for the grace of the prophets go i basically of like how yeah. little would it have taken for me to become this person and yeah i'm just like there yeah mirror universe and Lorca got me thinking of that i'm like oh you know talk about your missed opportunities there with the mirror universe for villains and yeah and seeing how circumstances shape a person and that mm -hmm. for all that Michael sort of bucks Federation society in a lot of ways, she is still very much of the Federation and mm -hmm. the, sa the same way her counterpart appears to have been of the Terran Empire. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I have a lot of feelings about the Mirror Universe because I've always been a fan of it and I really disliked what ds9 wound up doing yeah. with it after that first episode it was a and shame so, yeah and so i was so glad when discovery made it scary again yeah and it's, it's serious. interesting yes and i find it interesting when people say that there is no possibility of redeeming philippa Giorgio because mm. she's basically do cut and in certain fanboy circles, this leads to an argument about who is worse, and they're very much keen on defending Ducat. Yeah. <sighs> no. Of course they are. Mm. No. no. And I have to say, as someone who enjoys a good redemption arc, I don't know if that's really what we're getting with Giorgio, or no. if she is just channeling her not, ruthlessness honestly. in different directions. Yeah, and honestly, I feel like that's more interesting to me. Yeah. I don't and I can see, actually, the Ducat comparison in some regards mm. in that she is, you know, even more so than he was, actually, because uh, he was just some bureaucrat, really. He, right, was, right. Uh, he was not the head of the government, and mm -hmm. she was. But also, I mean, and we've talked about this a little, of just it was intentional on the writer's part that the main difference they said between Giorgio and Lorca was that Giorgio listens to Michael when yes. she said, like Michael told him all throughout that right. I am still mm. Federation at heart. And he was like, yeah, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> and Giorgio sure are, honey. listened to her and was like, okay, fine. And that was the main difference between mm -hmm. them. Mm. That Giorgio actually listened to her where Lorca did not. And I'm like, that's not really... That doesn't feel like an accident that it's the woman of color who's mm. saying that and listens to 
the other woman of color and the white uh, yeah. man kind of says yeah Talks sure over them uh-huh. yeah exactly and i'm like you know yeah 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 he's shown not to listen to either of them yeah so. <laughs> exactly like the one cons- one of the consistent things about Lorca is that all of his relationships with women are ultimately manipulative and dismissive and it starts mm-hmm. with michael and landry and cornwell and then more michael and and mm-hmm. philippa and he is not respect women guy mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and so yeah i don't i don't know that philippa would even want to be quote unquote redeemed mm. but i think she is open to having more flexibility in her priorities and i think part of her does enjoy mm-hmm being the bad advice bear of the federation (laughs) yeah and also also, safe that's what i i was gonna say i see her story as more of a survival story Mm. yeah than a redemption arc like she's she has had to be on guard her entire life and the higher up in ranks she got the worse it became and the more people were after her and then like the two people closest to her betrayed her and now this is sort of like this it's a second chance to live the life she wanted to live yeah you know as you're saying this you know what the best ds9 comparison would be to Giorgio is garrick i feel like yeah yes and I don't think that he is a hero, quote unquote. No. He's he's much more, uh, like, he's maybe not a villain, but he's much more anti-hero dark side than, than he is. And he's every, I mean, honestly, there's this wonderful essay, but basically it characterizes, uh, and I'm like, on, res, on in retrospect, that's exactly what it is. The dynamic as like everyone else kind of, dragging Garrick toward decency (laughs) in terms (laughs) of his like quote-unquote redemption arc it's everyone else being like okay well we're gonna treat you like one of us even though you're not and he's just constantly like no no and kind of Mm -hmm. testing the boundaries and they're like okay well you can do that all you want but we're still gonna (laughs) treat you like one of us and eventually sort of in spite of himself he ends up having a redemption arc yeah close or something close to one something approaching one maybe he starts making better choices (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah no that's perfect and like Giorgio, he's a chaos agent Mm -hmm. he pokes and pulls to see what happens some of the time and sometimes what happens is he winds up torturing Odo but no hard feelings (laughs) they're gonna have lunch next week because yeah (laughs) well you know what honestly Odo because Odo's a collaborator so Mm, mm. I mean that's a whole other story but uh yeah Odo is the worst dot tumblr dot com Mm -hmm. But also, I like that they wind up friends because he, Odo was tortured by Garrick, because mm-hmm. it's so alien, and they are mm-hmm. aliens, and and, you know, it, I would be, I wouldn't buy it if they were both human characters, if even one of them was a human character, mm-hmm. but they're not, and so it tells us something about them and who yeah. and what they are, and that's mm. cool. Yeah, honestly, mm. yeah, 
and I really like, and it sets them up like that episode explicitly sets them up as parallels Ooh. of each other. I mean, yeah. the end of the episode is Garrick talking to Odo and you never actually see Odo as they're saying we should have breakfast together more often. It's Garrick in the ruins of his shop and you only see Odo in the mirror as a reflection yeah. in the mirror. I'm like, wow, that's one of those things where I'm like, oh, bless you, Star Trek. That's so <laughs> on the nose. And I love it. Right, right. It's like in Picard when the camera shows him with the, the locutus face superimposed. Mm -hmm. That is not subtle, but I love it. <laughs> I love it. Mm. It was, yeah, no. We could do a whole episode just on that. The non-subtle mm. moments that we love. <laughs> I think that character dragged kicking and screaming into becoming a better person is <laughs> the arc that I really, really wanted mm. for Seska. And I just yes. logged Basics Part 2. And so I'm freshly angry all over again after 24 years about how she was... <laughs> how she was killed off and how her whole arc went because it made no sense whatsoever. And, and she was such a great character. And unlike mm. most of the female villains in Star Trek, she wasn't sexualized even when she's doing ridiculous MRA stuff. fantasy things <laughs> like stealing Chakotay's DNA and impregnating herself with it. Like, she was such a great foil for both Chakotay and Janeway, the same way Ducat matches both Kira and Cisco. Yep. Just so missed opportunities. I watched Worst Case Scenario because I wanted to end on a high note <laughs> going yeah. into this. Not, not on V6 Part 2. But in Worst Case Scenario, it's proven that Seska, you know, had Tuvok's game before Tuvok was afraid of her. Mm. And it's just so good. And, you know, a year after she's died, she's still causing problems on the ship and she's going <laughs> to blow it up. God, and almost yes. does, you know, almost succeeds. It, and, it, and that's just, you know, it was like, that was a better send-off for the character Absolutely. that I wanted her to be. Mm. I think but that... I'm, go ahead. Oh, I'm just... When I think about Seska staying on board and, you know messing with Janeway's head and Chakotay's and then Seven of Nines. Yes. Like, there are so many potential Lord. good stories here. Like, you know the, the Voyager conspiracy when Seven of Nine like, starts doing all of these algorithms in her head and realizes yeah, yeah. everybody? So imagine the version of that story where halfway through she goes and lets Seska out of her quarters that she's been like imprisoned <laughs> in the entire time. <laughs> Would be so good. Yes. Good lord, yeah. I'm just I'm just thinking about that episode and realizing what a perfect match Seven and Rafi are. Just oh. just give me a minute here. Aww. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, they can set up a conspiracy wall in their quarters. Oh, so nice. With Elnor just kinda hanging around outside, like, what do you need, Mom? <laughs> Moms. <laughs> <sighs> Anyway, I've considered Seska for many too many hours of my life, and so mm -hmm. I can explain all of her terrible choices that she makes and how she traps herself in her own horrible ending because of all the terrible choices that she makes, mm. and how it all comes down to, even though we're not calling the Cardassian race a villain, 
being raised within mm -hmm. the Cardassian race and the Cardassian mm. culture oh, is definitely yeah. responsible for everything that Seska does. She is both like she can't respect Janeway because she's pure Federation, but also because mm -hmm. she's a woman. And she also is afraid of Janeway for those reasons. Mm -hmm. And so That's she, interesting. she mm -hmm. runs away to the Kazon somewhere where she understands the rules of the game because they're very patriarchal and they're very, mm. you know, and she knows how to manipulate people within that place. And she doesn't know mm -hmm. how to do it on Voyager. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up because what I've noticed and what's really interesting to me on DS9 is that, like, yes, Cardassian society seems to have these very strict gender roles mm. of, like, men are good at military and honestly emotional stuff it seems like like there's famous Cardassian architects and artists and stuff and yeah military leaders and women are good at science and engineering and mm -hmm. in some ways it's just like okay got it uh it's an inverse of uh western human stereotypes but also but still a patriarchy but the obsidian order is largely both we see a lot yes, of men, we see a lot of women, like a lot mm. of fairly mixed gender, actually. Like it's not, there's some women, there's some men. Um, so I, like, I find that interesting, especially watching like Picard, where it's like, you've got the, the Tal Shiar, we're introduced to it in a Troy episode. Right, um, they're very a, feminized. They, yeah, yes, they definitely The Tal are. Shiar, let alone the Shad Fosh, we learn about later, and the uh, Kawat Milot, who seem to be largely, if not entirely, female. I find it very interesting that the Obsidian Order, then, seems to be, like, fairly mixed gender and mm. oddballs of all genders maybe uh, it's sort of the place where in a repressive society your weirdos and outliers mm -hmm. have an outlet but are also watched very closely which is very much the early history of the cia honestly yeah. like if you look at the oss the predecessor to the cia it was very much like weirdos, circus acrobats, and mm -hmm. people who could do weird puzzles. And it was just, it was all sorts of like weirdos. And yeah, to some extent, it's like, well, you know what? They can come up with crazy stuff. Let's have them working for us. And this way we can keep an eye on them as well. Right. Yes. yes. Yeah, I find that really interesting and contrasting the Tal Shiar against the Obsidian Order is sort of my new hobby. Yes. So. <laughs> oh, there's plenty of that, you know. Honestly, I'm like, I'm going off track a little here, but um, I get a little annoyed by the ever Shabon included saying like, mm -hmm. well, we couldn't really fit DS9 into Picard. Oh, no. I'm like, you know, if nothing else, I'd like to know about how the founders, how or how the Tal Shiar survived the Battle of the Omarian Nebula, which is said to be the equivalent of Volt 359 for that. Yeah. I would love to know about 
subcommander to rule of mm. like I'm like there's DS9 did a lot with the Romulans and excuse me you know who the one person if at least uh one person in the Federation wasn't totally lauding Picard as a hero after uh best of both worlds was it was Cisco I'm like uh, you know, I feel like there's stuff there. I think that it would have been more, it would have been less disingenuous for them to just say, we we chose not to, you know, maybe next season or something, rather than we couldn't fit it in. Like, it just seems like, <laughs> oh, we really, really yeah. wanted to. We tried. Yeah. I mean, that sounds just like the cat and, and, it's, and Elnor. It's like, you didn't mm. try hard enough if it didn't yes. get into the show. Yes. So, yes. so yes. stop whining yes. and just bring in DS9. But you didn't you know, do it. Oh, come on. Sittig and Robinson would totally be into some kind of arc where you finally Absolutely. have Derek and Bashir get together. And, what? you it know, would, it could just Laris like and a... Shabon totally know Garrick. Come on. Exactly. That's right. Like, there's so many little ways that you could have had this sort of domestic idea of of seeing Deep Space Nine people mm-hmm. and yet like totally with the plot of spies and disenfranchised yeah. people. It's like, yeah. hello, that's what Come Deep Space on. Nine is about. Yeah. We could have literally visited the station and seen how it looks, you know, 20, 30 years yeah. later. And is there more Federation elements in its design are there more bajoran elements in its design mm-hmm. how has bajor changed by being part of the federation they literally how- were like let's take agnes to ds 12 like, yeah. there, so long, yeah. there was like just so enough of a pause and i'm like screw you screw you <laughs> especially after they had a couple they had like two different lines connecting rios to deep space nine and then a third that i was like oh they had like no they have one yeah they had like a bunch of different lines connecting rios to ds9 and i was like i you're just teasing me at this point i'm Mm. i'm mad i'm mad i'm mad about it and i'm like oh like i get it on the one hand okay ds9 is very self-contained compared to some other tracks. But it also... is, but if you're going to bring back a Voyager character as obscure as Echeb, mm-hmm. then you right. can you can do more than just shout out Mr. Quark of Ferengina. Yeah, exactly. And mm. I love Quark, honestly. Like, anti-villain in some regards. <laughs> I'm like, that I just... That reminds me. Ugh. When I was in grade nine, we had a thing in English class where it was like, name a villain in television or books. And one of the three Nicoles in my class mentioned Quark. (laughs) And I was like, hey, that is outrageous. Quark is not a villain. He is Quark. I I, I would, these days I would call him an antagonist. I don't think I knew that word then. Maybe I learned it in that lesson. Maybe. But the other thing was that this particular Nicole was very, very cool. And I was like, how does someone that cool know about Star Trek? I wish I had the courage to talk to her. I really like her purple hair and we go to the same church. Maybe we have some stuff in common. Yes. Never actually spoke to her. But oh, that's, that's, she's out. If you're out there somewhere listening, Nicole, come on, get in touch and explain the mystery of how you know that. 
And also, I really liked how your purple hair faded into silver. It was very cool. <laughs> yeah, Quark is not a villain, but at the same time, he does truly egregious things and kind of gets away with them. And yeah. I'm thinking not just that time he sold weapons to a terrorist organization, oh, but stuff wow. like uh, making a pornographic Holosuite program based on Kira. Yeah. Which is. He's definitely involved in more than one murder plot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And it's, I mean, I've, I've gone into this rant so many times personally and on my blog and everywhere. I'm just like, if Quark is a collaborator, which Kira says at one point, Mm. she's like, I don't trust you because you're a collaborator. I'm like, if Quark is a collaborator, why is Odo? Odo? And why aren't we treating Odo with the same amount of suspicion that we're treating Quark? Right. I'm just like, you know, and Quark, honestly, a lot of this is down to Armin Shimmerman's performance Mm. because he really just elevates this character who could have been just, yeah, just such a caricature and so one note and ridiculous and manages to kind of, yeah, give him a lot of depth. The whole all three of the Ferengi are mm-hmm. kind of amazing in that mm-hmm. you you go into Deep Space Nine thinking the Ferengi are a one-note joke at best. Mm. And, and a pretty offensive and, joke and, at that. And mm-hmm. Offensive and, and racist mm-hmm. and anti-Semitic and horrible yep. <laughs> at, at worst. Um, but all three of them raise those characters to something amazing. That yeah. It's like you can start rooting for them even if you acknowledge that, and especially Quark, is on the wrong side on more than one occasion. Yeah. He's yet, someone that yeah. you root for and that you care about and you become invested in. Yeah. And through them, you know, all of the other Ferengi that they deal with become more interesting. Ishka, the yeah. Nagus. Yeah, absolutely. Brunt. Yeah. Yeah, like, I'm like, honestly, we could do a sequel to your Mother's Day episode just talking about Ishka, I feel like. I'm like, ugh. Oh. The thing with Quark, Quark's villainy is I just kind of wish there'd been, like, a jail set and occasionally mm. Quark is in prison and there's a subplot about him, I don't know, <laughs> trying to turn a profit smuggling contraband or... <laughs> you know, sneaking access to the guard's replicator, which produces better rations, something like that. And it's one of those things where I think Babylon 5 looked at what Deep Space Nine was doing and went, mm. yeah, nah, because that, that one had a whole arc about a character, a regular, doing something terrible and then spending half a season in prison for it. Mm. I mean, and that is kind of what they did with Garrick. They yeah. just skipped over him going to the prison part and suddenly he yeah. shows up and he like attempts to commit genocide and gets, yeah. you know, six months in prison. Oh, that's Zadie Garrick. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> they did with Cassidy too, with yeah, her say, Cassidy, involvement in the Marquis. Cassidy, Cassidy I don't know. Prison. See, Cassidy, was, I'm kind of like, uh, she was smuggling weapons. She wasn't smuggling weapons. She was smuggling, like, health. She was smuggling, like, medical supplies. And she kind of knew it was the Maquis, but she was like, uh, it was sort of a, like, I'm not asking a lot of questions situation. And it's medical supplies. Mm. I don't know. Honestly, I'm like, I 
get why, and I, I don't mean, object to the arc of, like, having Cisco's girlfriend, but also I'm like, uh, I don't consider that really villainous. You feel like she needs a better lawyer, and also yeah. it's kind of weird how black women get much heavier sentences yeah. when white men do much worse things. Yeah, isn't it weird? Yeah, it's so, so strange. Garrett gets six months for attempted genocide, and Cassidy gets at least that for smuggling medical supplies to Federation colonies that ex colony ex Federation colonies that might be associated with the Marquis, mm. the Maquis. Yeah, and also the Maquis See, are is... not exactly unsympathetic. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's sort of the point of those right. episodes. Yeah. This is why I don't really buy the argument that Star Trek, other like that Deep Space Nine is the only non-racist Star Trek. Like yeah, it has issues no. as much as everyone else, if no. not more so. I mean, purely it, because of the opportunity of having more people of color. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it did pretty well in a lot of oh, regards, yeah. especially compared to other Star Treks. But that's not the same it's as being still free an of all, all issues and nearly all white male. Yeah. All white writing room. And I'm pretty sure the only man of colour in there was Naren Shankar, who was Indian American, not African American, and yeah. so has different experiences. And how No long shade on he... Shankar, I yeah. like him. But Oh no, yeah. God, yeah. The the expanse is like the only sci fi series my dad admits to liking. <laughs> like That's mom so good. And my mom like, has I... watched Star Trek from the beginning. Yeah. I'm like, Mom. Yeah. You married a man who doesn't like who doesn't like science fiction. She's like, I love the Expanse, but I could never do a podcast about it because it's so good. Yeah, like no, we couldn't absolutely. have this conversation about the Expanse. No, yeah, absolutely. Now I'm sorry. Now I'm just trying to come up with topic ideas for the Expanse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> sorry. Okay. Honestly, I do think that its treatment of Naomi is not as good as the books. And mm. particularly in that season where she Agreed. disagrees with everyone and they give they treat her like shit for most of the season. Agreed. That was terrible and also subtextually bad. Mm-hmm. And I don't like the decision to uh, combine the characters of Drama and, oh shoot, Michio Pa. Because I love Michio mm. and I love Drama, but Michio's role in the books is going to diverge pretty heavily from Drama's. Anyway, that's The Expanse. <laughs> Julie Mao deserves better. <laughs> yeah Julie right. now always deserves better oh yeah 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 I mean in fairness I feel like that's one of the points of the books so yeah particularly the later books but the first one is such a straight up fridging that it's yeah now that's depressing. what I enjoy about them though is that later they're like yeah oh yeah I love seeing the writers grow and improve and their characters becoming more diverse and more complicated and mm. I think I have never seen men write an abusive relationship from the woman's point of view as well as they wrote um Naomi and what's his face mm. the guy who needs a punch <laughs> like that was like Seeing these guys level up is absolutely remarkable. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Back to Star Trek. (laughs) I mean, Shankar got his start on Star Trek. It's it's a reasonable transition. Yeah. But I was going to say that uh, until Nerissa came along, I would have said that Star Trek was mostly past 
sexualizing mm. its female villains. Oh. Like, there's Giorgio, but I wouldn't say she's objectified. Like, yeah, no. Like, she's gorgeous and sexy, but it's sort of incidental. Yeah, even the scene where she sleeps with the two sex workers and we see her in her uncomfortable-looking leather corset. Mm. Like, it didn't feel exploitative. Mm. Whereas Nerissa, I feel like... Yeah. The the writing for Nerissa and Narek really drops the ball. And so we could have seen them as people sooner and we mm-hmm. didn't. And what frustrates me, especially with Nerissa, and honestly, there's an episode of DS9 where I feel the same way about this, where I'm like, this is a great episode that explores the complexity of this and it should have happened sooner. But like when we find out with Nerissa that... Her aunt, the woman who raised them, mm, was that Ramda was that her auntie Ramda was assimilated and was also initially going to be part of the shot or the shot vash and didn't or maybe did survive the admonition. It's not totally clear that she totally made it through unscathed. I'm like, you know, this is really interesting what you're doing with her here, with Nerissa, and it should have happened a lot earlier. Yeah, so so I recently, I didn't rewatch the series, but I uh, was watching all of the episodes in order to um, get clips for my vids. Mm -hmm. And there, it's the episode after... So I guess it's like the fourth episode, the episode after the cell scene with Ramda and Soji happens, where mm. Ramda tries to kill herself and Soji saves her, and then she's in a coma for the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. So the next episode, Soji is with Ramda in a scene that is that very much parallels the later scene with Nerissa. Yeah. And mm. Narek surprises her there. And she's mm. like, are you following me? And he says, no. And I was like, oh, my God, I believe him. He's just checking on his aunt. Aww. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I wish I had known that. I wish Aww. that their stuff was introduced before that yeah. so that it wasn't like this afterthought, you know, going you know? back, I have this realization. Because now mm. I'm just like, oh. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. it comes back, I think, to... Shabon not being a television writer first and mm. foremost because I'm like I could see that being the kind of thing you sort of hint at over a over a hundred pages or so yeah and then rereading being like right. oh yeah right. I see what you're doing there but on a tv show you don't have the room to kind of hint at that here and there and then come back to it later when you actually get a scene with these character, one of these characters even, and right. Ramda, and be like, oh, oh. I see. Yes. Of, right. uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's the same with Narek's um, throwaway line in the very final episode that he's a Jatvash washout. It would have oh, yeah. been really nice to know that, like, episodes yeah. and episodes ago. There's. Yeah. Like, like, I was saying that Narek, like, Narek and Narissa both finally get actual characterization in the very end 
of the plot. Mm. And I feel like it's, I still feel like it part, it's partially some kind of, they were trying to trick us into hating them. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, oh, don't hate them. And it's like, no, you, you're, you're just, you're just, you're, this is not good story craft. Right, right. <laughs> and I think setting out, setting out to trick your audience is bad writing. Exactly. Yeah. You can set out to surprise your audience, yeah. but tricking them is not playing fair. I should be able to go back and rewatch and be like, oh, okay, I see X, Y, and Z clue. Right. Like now. in the good place. The good place yes. does it well. I was going to say like season one of Discovery. Yes. When everything Lorca is doing makes sense. And suddenly you see him doing so yes. many things at once. That's and they're true. all creepy. And I remember initially, I think... Liz, you may have been the one who linked me to initially the theory that Lorca was from the mirror universe. Oh, was in I? the maybe. So I don't know. I heard it somewhere, and I think you were the main person I was talking huh. to about it. About like that, like there was this theory that Lorca was mm. from the mirror universe, and I was like. That's weird. And I guess I kind of see where they're getting at it, but I don't know. And this was during the hiatus between the first half and second half of the seasons. And I was like, that is weird. That is reaching. (laughs) I don't know. And then the first episode of the second Mm. half of the first season happened. And I was like, I'm on board. You know what? (laughs) Suddenly I see. See it, and I was totally wrong about his motivations. But even then, at that point, I was like, "Yep, I see it. I see it, and I buy it." Okay, yeah. so- I remember seeing that theory around, like from about the midpoint of the first half of the first season, and I didn't really care for it because I felt like obviously Ash is a Klingon, and we can't have two mm-hmm. imposters. That's ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> but also, I felt like Lorca was just a straight up. Starfleet captain who is broken by trauma and mm-hmm. this is like the crew's perspective on that old TOS story of the captain who goes crazy and declares himself a god or whatever. Which is also I mean <laughs> you say TOS but also TNG. I mean that's basically right. the plot of uh damn it, what's that episode? The first <laughs> one with the Cardassians. Yeah, yeah. I mean yes. it's that one. I mean I, I think- and I I've said that's that's Battle of the Binary Stars, the wounded. Yeah. Like if yeah. if someone had intervened. If yeah, and part of why Lorca works so well as a villain is that all the clues are things that we as a society are trained and programmed to overlook and forgive. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, he's manipulative. Oh, he treats women badly. Oh well, he's mm-hmm. just you know he has a lot of pain. He, he's he'll damaged. Get yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I was totally wrong and I buy that. Yeah. I'm like, I, I, I own that. Even and, us, yeah. misandrist as we are. Right. Reasonably misandrist. That I really appreciate Lorca's story as a story and as plot and as mm-hmm. how I, I appreciate it. And I mean, mm. I love it. I love the fact that Lorca ends up the villain in the end. But I end up mm-hmm. not liking Lorca. 
no. either as a villain yeah. or as a not a villain. Like I just end up being like, oh, yes. so he's like I just I get exactly weird. what is this, you mean. It's this weird yeah. thing where because I was sort of on his side up until a point, and then he becomes a monster and like yeah. completely a monster. Like he has. Oh, if you were hoping for me to now move into <laughs> my my. I've become better by being in the Federation for six months. That's not basically. Happen. Yeah, they basically swap him is, for Giorgio. Right, they which is like, great no. for the story, but for him as a character, I no longer yeah. love him. Yeah, I just transferred all of my feelings about Lorca to the version of Prime Lorca that exists only in my head. <laughs> And the good news is that he sort of seems to match up with other people's versions, so I feel like I'm on the right track. And uh, doesn't look like Discovery's doing anything with that character anymore, so he's mine I now. mean, this sounds like I think you prompted me, and I have so many scenes written of the fic where, uh, like, Prime Lorca gets dumped on DS9 and he and Kira Prime end up kind of together. And I'm like, yes. And, well, the way I'm writing it is that he ends up, well, at this point in the Mirror Universe's uh, timeline, Bajor has been conquered by the Terran Empire. Mm. And so... Presumably, it would not be difficult out at the edge of uh, Empire space for if they wanted, they were trying to go into hiding for Mirror Michael, who Mm. is associated with the Rebellion, and Prime Lorca, who she has realized is not her Lorca and needs to, like, get to protection because he's relatively innocent, to uh, end up hitting the wormhole and... And whoops, time travel. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, the prophets are like, yeah, sure, whatever. Let's dump yeah, them out yeah. anywhere. Anywhere, anytime. I feel anytime. like the prophets do a lot of things for the lols. Oh, yeah. And, and it's actually, coming back to our regular topic, I can't remember who it is, but one of my friends has this theory that the ultimate villains of the Star Trek universe are the prophets. Oh, yeah. I mean, this comes back to, honestly, I think when we were discussing this episode, uh, Annika, you sent a list of, like, villains in Star Trek. Yeah, and a one of them was God. List. One of them was and God. And I'm like, <laughs> honestly, it was great. Yeah. As a Jew during the Passover, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, God's a villain. Mm. Yeah, it's Good Friday. I can get behind that. But yeah, the reason I would argue that the prophets are the villains, uh, well, villainous, if not Mm. the ultimate villain, is the whole thing with Sarah Sisko, where they just straight up possess Mm -hmm. and have impregnated this human Mm -hmm. woman. And what? And again, the all male writing room doesn't seem to realize what they've done. Yes. Although, what's interesting, my roommate Mindy, who. I introduced to Star Trek and got into it via Discovery. And I was like, if you like Discovery, maybe try DS9 next. Mm. And is now super into Star Trek. Um, She was like, hey, so as we're going through DS9 together, she was like, hey, so what if, bear with me here, what if 
Cisco's mother was a prophet. And I was like, Mindy, are you Catholic by any chance? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yep, of course. The uh, lapsed Catholic in the apartment is like, hey, so is Cisco's mom a prophet? I was like, yep, yep. Because God's a jerk. The difference is that the angel asked. Mm. Like That's the prophets, true. Prophets are not prophets very much into don't. consent. Prophets don't. The, the irony is that in Star Trek V, God is a pretty disappointing villain. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Like, he really is. Honestly, makes a better character in the Futurama episode where <laughs> Bender is like, unless you're not God... But the remains of a computerized probe that collided with God. I've seen that movie too. Honestly, that's a great episode. It's one of my favorites of Futurama. It's brilliant. Man, it has been so long since I watched Futurama. It's so good. Can I ask, Annika, I think it was you who added General Chang to our list, and yeah. I'm a bit miffed because you both had your own villains, Seska and Walker, and then <laughs> I was going to choose General Chang, and you oh. stole him from you me. You said that Lorca was your villain. I know. You you and I, you said Jules has Dupont, and you have Seska, and so I get one too, and then in parentheses, you put Lorca. <laughs> I, so know, I know, I know. I don't talk that much about Dukat, honestly. Lorca is basically Dukat, but prettier. Yeah, I think I remember us saying at one point in email early in the uh, yeah. first season of Discovery, I was like, I feel like they're the AU I've written in <laughs> drafts that I have in Google Docs, the like female Cisco Ducat AU. And you were like, I got a very Cisco Ducat vibe off of them. And well, I wasn't sure whether to say it or not. And I'm like, yes. Yes. I was obviously is... seeing red flags and yep. choosing to ignore them. Yep. That is. Oh, I love Whereas it. Whereas General Chang is just red flags all the way down right. and completely <laughs> unignorable. He embraces it. Right. And I know I was saying that I don't really love the Klingons as bad guys, but... He is. He thinks he's the hero, and he's the charismatic yes. troll who is twirling exactly. in his chair, quoting Shakespeare, so, as he fires on oh. the Enterprise. I, I only have oh. three notes, and I, I'm kind of proud of them, so I'm just going to read them to you guys. Yes, please. So, uh, number one, played by Captain Von Trapp. Yes. Yes. Number two, close personal relationship with Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Yes. And number three, extra AF. Yes. <laughs> it's true. And I think, you know, mm. I think Star Trek VI is a great movie and very nearly flawless, but I just cannot imagine it being a fraction as much fun without Christopher Oh, no. Oh, he's, yes. he's, he's the everything. He's, yes. The parts of Star Trek VI that I love, I really love. And the parts of Star Trek VI that I don't like, I really don't like. So it's... Not my favorite, but everything about General Chang and really his entire conspiracy and all of yeah. his is that's is such great. a racist name, though. Oh, well, yes. I mean, speaking of and Star Trek and yes. its racist villains, I'm like, oh no, 
It's oh, also no. the one where the Romulans are just straight up wearing Shipao. So. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry I interrupted there, but I'm also like, oh, Star Trek. Oh, no, it's very. Like, Sometimes. Oh, Star Trek. Oh. Truthfully, and this is embarrassing, right. um, General Chang has been like part of my landscape for so many decades that it has only just now occurred to me that that is super racist. I mean, Which, it's just. And. It's, Plays off yeah. of the Kang and Kor and whatever the yeah. other one was. Like they, were, they were going for that and they didn't notice it was racist, I think is the truth. But no, there was no yeah. one to say, hey guys, <laughs> bad idea. I mean, it's sort of, yeah. it's, it's the same as in, in Picard when they kill off all of the black men and it's like, guys... Uh, why are you doing this? They just exactly. don't notice. No one is watching like, with that point of view yeah that's why you need diversity behind the camera as well as in front of it yeah exactly i don't even know who was writing on season two of picard but i feel like it's mostly the same people but just less chabon so <laughs> oh god i mean that could be okay i guess i mean chabon he just he needs to learn how to write for tv He's yeah. writing like a novelist where, yeah. He's leaving to do his uh, adaptation of his own work, which I think he'll be much better at. Because he mm -hmm. won't have to do any of the world building. It'll just be, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. I already know where this story is going. Mm -hmm. I just have to do it for TV. And he's learned. And so now he can mm -hmm. and yes. bring that and grow. And so much of Picard, I'm like, mm. as we said, like with Nerissa, my moment mm. where I'm like, wow, you actually brought some humanization to this character. I mean, for want of a better word than humanization. Right. Yes. Like, you made me believe this character as a person. Nuance. It was way too late. It was I mean, good. <laughs> but you should have at least been hinting at it earlier. And I'm like, a... that's the kind of thing that a novelist could do. You could drop hints earlier right. and earlier that I wouldn't pick up, that I might pick up on, mm. but wouldn't pick up on and see spelled out until later. Mm. I'm like, mm, yeah. I will say regarding the villains in Picard, O was very one note, but because she mm. survived, I feel like that there is yes. room for her to come back and yes. level up to be a more... A more oh, interesting character and a better foil for Picard. Yes. yes. They could even, like, meet. Absolutely. That would rule. <laughs> they could even, like, meet. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just one of the problems that we have all these antagonists who, like, Picard doesn't interact with O once. Yeah. Okay. So, here's my question. Difference between a villain and antagonist. We touched on this a little at the beginning, but villain versus mm. antagonist. What's sort of the difference, at least in the context of Star Trek, or specifically in the context of Star Trek? Partially, I think it's just body count. Like, mm. normally I would say that an antagonist is someone who genuinely believes or at least hopes that they're doing the right thing mm. or at least they're doing the wrong thing for the right reasons like mm. i think of kylo ren pre-redemption as an antagonist not a villain 
Whereas mm-hmm. I would say Snoke is a villain. But with mm-hmm. Star Trek, like, I would say that O is more of an antagonist than a villain, but at the same mm-hmm. time, she was pretty keen to commit genocide. Mm-hmm. So, like, where do you draw the line? Yeah. Although by her standards... I mean, that's sort of where antagonist versus villain comes in for me, is that, like, by her standards, it wasn't really genocide. Yeah. Yeah. By her standards, that was less of a genocide than what Kat Cornwell attempted to do on Kronos. Mm -hmm. Right. Because she just didn't even see them as people. Right. And not even in the way that you can say that about anyone who's a who's a bad guy in really in even in earth you know that they no, don't, but they don't see me as people but like they they are literally machines and yeah so, it's like the equivalent of line. throwing so iphones in the recycling people, but right yeah i guess on the whole i would say she is more of an antagonist than a villain and also because she is very powerful but very remote and she has some one-liners and some sh- sp- sharp shoulders that basically scream, hello, I am evil. And she's not <laughs> yeah. literally twirling her moustache because she's half Vulcan and they have more dignity than that. <laughs> and I would say that, I would say Kai Wynn is an antagonist rather than a villain. Mm. Because although she does some fairly terrible things, she also is capable of a certain amount of heroism. And there are times when she has put Bajor above her own ambition and like when I she think kills she's... my favorite uh, villain ever. Right. Yes. God right. bless her. That's why I love her. I'm like, yes. Right. She God kills. Dude, God. God bless her. You know she's what? She's a very complicated antagonist. She is, and I love her. I think that like Seska, she deserved a better end. Yeah. She definitely deserved yeah. a better end. But I mean, I think the Deep Space Nine deserved a better end is really what the truth is well, yeah yeah well yeah it's where i land <laughs> that's yeah <laughs> my last rewatch we stopped the episode before jadzia died and we have no regrets that's a good choice <laughs> actually no yeah. i have one regret and that's that you can't have esri and jadzia at the same time yeah see esri could have been leading that fleet we should yes. have at the whole... end of yeah. yes esri and Worf. Right. I mean, Worf I really is... like the idea of Ezri but... becoming Worf's first officer. I assumed uh... Worf would lead the fleet. Yeah, same. The, the Enterprise would lead the fleet and that, but... to rescue them. And I was like, that would be amazing. Give me Worf. And, yeah. Oh, I love that. Now that you mention it, Ezri is mm. Worf's first officer. I'm that like, would be so yes. good. Like, I feel like she'd be an older first officer, oh. but at the same time, if she's switched at a later stage from counselling mm-hmm. to command. And I, I don't and think she's she would care. Infant. Like, she wouldn't, right. she wouldn't care She's 350 about... years old. Yeah, so she doesn't, like, titles and ranks, that doesn't matter. Who cares? She's, yeah. she's going where she's needed. And right. Worf definitely needs her as his first officer. Yes. It's like, perfect. Oh. <laughs> and oh, also, I love it. Like, I realize it's technically reassociation, but it's a trill, so. Uh, and also, you know. Worf's not into it at this point. Right, he's, like, he's moved on, uh, we hope. Okay, we tried that oh and it didn't work, so. Yeah. No. Yeah, they like, would just have a great relationship now, a great, like. It would be yeah. amazing. Now I want that so much. I know, much. I'm, I'm oh, angry. angry all over I'm again. I'm so mad. <laughs> 
Esri and Esri and Julian and Garrick have some weird polyamorous relationship going on. And one hundred percent. Yeah, that's what I want. Yeah. <sighs> Good lord, yes. Like I think as with so much of Star Trek, the version of Picard that exists in our heads is a bit better than the one. Yeah. Yeah. Well. And that's frustrating, but it's also okay. It's also yeah. Okay. I guess. I mean, that's where the best fanfic comes from. Right. And these I'm days. Right. I, was, I was sort of, you know, when we were talking about Narissa and Narek earlier and how they don't get any, you know, <laughs> actual character and everything. And yet they were my favorite from basically episode two. And it's sort of like. So you can tell the least developed and most chaotic mm-hmm. character on the show is going to be my favorite. <laughs> and, well, and that's just, that's you just have the a way type. it is. I have a type. Yeah. Okay. You have a like, type. I mean, Admiral I, Clancy yeah. walked in and I fell in love. <laughs> <laughs> I just, yeah. 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 I'm okay yeah. with it. I know who I am. I know what I like. You know, <laughs> yeah. Well, and let's be real, today's fanfic writers are uh, tomorrow's best-selling writers and mm-hmm. head right. staff writers. And yeah, I mean... Absolutely. You know. Yeah. I was delighted. And- yeah, well, I'll leave that for another time. But the goal... Oh, no, no. <laughs> Oh, oh, yes. I did want to ask if you had any particular Jewish perspective on that. I was delighted that the golem was introduced as sort of a value-neutral thing. Because I mm. see it as sort of a... Uh, I, that's a step forward, basically. I often see it, like, in video games and in other stuff. Yeah, the yeah. golem mm. is, like, a bad thing. It's scary, and it's Frankenstein, and it's a robot, and I'm like, no, a golem protects us. A golem was introduced to protect the ghetto from the hordes of angry Christians who were going to kill us. I'm like, no, the golem is like Picard is protecting the synths. Exactly, Romulans. I'm like, Mm. yeah, that golem is. At, at worst, it's a neutral thing. At best, it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's our thing to protect us. Um, which is interesting. Michael Shabon's not breakthrough novel, Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, mm. includes a character, I mean, it's, an alternate version of the origin of Superman. And basically it makes it explicit that Superman is a golem. And also he's a child who was put in a basket in a little probe Mm -hmm. and sent out into space into the river. And Superman Mm -hmm. is Moses and also the golem. And yeah, I mean, I I could yell for a long time about, uh, but yeah, I appreciated that Picard at least presents the golem as a very neutral thing. Yeah, yeah. Rather than a negative thing. See, it was negative to me because it's that kind of 
transference is a bit squicky to me. And yes. um, I, it was, you know, introduced as this is what Sung has built for himself. And I hated mm-hmm. Sung, so I didn't like it. Yeah. But I also sensed that I was missing something. And now you've provided that missing piece. <laughs> so I'm very grateful to have that extra context. There you go. And I, I, and I'm also like, my mom was like, oh, they've solved all the problems with Picard. Where else is there to go? I'm like, that's really interesting, though. You still have places to go, like, because this is kind of a, an artificial body. And yeah. you still have places to go of especially the Borg. I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, from some regards, the if you look at it the wrong way, the Borg are the golem gone wrong. Of like, well, that's hmm. that makes me think of Descent, which I've been doing p- far too much lately uh. for a terrible two-parter. Mm-hmm. But the whole thing with that two-parter was that Law was offering the Borg the chance to become fully artificial and mm-hmm. to shed their right. organic parts. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that's really interesting. And I do think that there is more story to tell, not just in terms of Picard having a few extra decades in which to age naturally, but in terms of... All his friends just watched him die, and now he's here, and he's fine. And it's a little weird. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like Elnor is going to voice that weirdness very loudly. Mm-hmm. And if Deanna sees him, will he be? Will she be able to sense his emotions? And if she can't, will that freak her out? Mm-hmm. Because I can see that freaking her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, most importantly, how is Beverly going to react? And where was their relationship before? And where is it going to go now? Hmm. Uh, I have priorities. You have I don't priorities. apologize for them. You yeah. do. Yes. Yeah. I feel like we've strayed from villains. Well, but I just I don't wanted care. to ask you about the golem thing because yes. I knew that you would have something to say about oh, it. Oh, yes. And that it would be very intelligent. Uh, oh, thank you. I'm flattered. <laughs> that is that is very kind. Given the fights I've gotten into on the internet, and uh, thank you. I'm flattered. <laughs> You're very welcome, but it was only a statement of fact. <laughs> And, you know, don't take fights on the internet too seriously. Thank you. <laughs> or too much to heart. Thank you. I, yes. Villains, though. Yes. Mm. I do think that a story suffers without a good antagonist. And they oh. don't need, necessarily need to be a bad person. Absolutely. But, Definitely Like, true. even a force of nature can be an antagonist. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. in the Western storytelling tradition, it is something that's beneficial to have. I mean, Jurassic Park is my favorite villain, and it's my favorite, <laughs> one of my favorite movies. Mm. And it's explicitly stated that nature is the villain there. Right. I sort right. of hinted at there with my Freudian slip, but. <laughs> the nature. park is the villain you can make me believe pretty much anything is a villain if you mm. do it right <laughs> let me introduce you to my cat <laughs> I was just looking at my little cat and saying you're not a villain sweetie I know everyone I was... thinks you are Oh, my, my, my daughter cats. tells me every day that my cat Sushi in specifically is, oh. is a villain <laughs> And I'm the I the only reason I don't think she, 
the only reason I disagree is that she likes me. And so she's oh. never a villain to me, but she oh. is to everyone else. Oh. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, Annika, would you like to give us time? an outro? Yes, yes. Yes. Okay. Wait, we, I need to know what episode are we watching. Oh, yes. God. I don't know. Uh, let's do... I feel like we might have things to say about things past in oh, uh, interesting. season four. Or season five, I'm sorry, things past. All right. I can't remember which episode that is, so that's exciting. I'm mm. just writing it down. All right, yes. All right. It's, it should have happened earlier, but yes. Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at at antimatterpod. Sometimes we host cat pictures and questions for our audience. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us in two weeks when we'll be discussing the Deep Space Nine episode, Things past. Yay! Yay!